0: i C.L. Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe, but our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. Well, Merry Christmas to you. No, this is not a rerun. Uh, it is still the Christmas season. Uh, we get to celebrate Christmas in the church until the baptism of the Lord, which we will celebrate tomorrow. Uh, so uh, with sadness, I realized that tomorrow I have to take the tree down, got to get the, the ornaments packed away, put the uh, the various nativity scenes that we have around the house, uh, put them away and, uh, and pack away the Christmas music. And that's it's a sad thing. It's it's hard to do. And uh, it's specifically hard to do because we don't start the Christmas music until Christmas Day. And so we're we're just now into the season of it. Uh, But but now it's it's finally done. It's over. And I I have to tell you, it was kind of a relief becoming a Catholic and realizing that I I get to leave the tree up this long, mainly because now when people ask, I can say, oh, yeah, we leave the tree up because uh, Christmas goes through the baptism of the Lord uh, rather than saying, oh, I didn't get around to it. So tomorrow we do celebrate the baptism of the Lord. This is a, a feast that was instituted by uh, Pope Pius XII. Uh, before that, it had been part of Epiphany. And Epiphany typically celebrates and, and meditates on three mysteries. Uh, the, the adoration of the Magi, where they come, the, the, the three wise men come and offer their gifts to, uh, to Jesus and reveal him. In a very specific way, that's what epiphany means, uh, something to be revealed. Uh, Then the baptism of the Lord, where as he is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and the voice comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So again, through the baptism, Christ is revealed. And then the third mystery is the, uh, the wedding feast at Cana, where Christ performed the first miracle of turning the water into wine. And through that miracle, again, Christ is revealed. So, um, I, as someone who is is very fond of marriage ministry, I, I kind of think that the wedding feast at Cana gets short shrift now because we have um, focused out and drawn out these two mysteries uh, of Epiphany—the wise men and and the baptism—now uh, as separate feasts, and and we don't really take the time as as such to give that third mystery of epiphany its its own due on its own day. Uh, that is what it is. Uh, you should spend some time meditating on it. But for now, we're going to talk about the baptism of the Lord in, in a couple of ways today. One, we're going to look at what it means, uh, and we'll do this through our reading from Scripture and from church history as well later in the show. We're going to look at the, the mystery specifically of Christ's baptism, of how he is revealed uh, and what the purpose is of him. God made flesh being baptized with the baptism of John, who had a baptism uh, of repentance. So why would uh, would God, who is without sin, need to have a baptism of repentance? We'll unpack that just a little bit, uh, but then we're also going to be talking about our own baptisms, and they're very closely tied in to that question that we're going to ask about about Jesus' baptism. How is uh, our baptism in one way a participation with Christ's, and as such, how do our baptisms reveal Christ today? When we're baptized, we, uh, we take on some specific roles. We have these baptismal promises that even, whether we are the ones who verbalize them and will them or whether they're made on our behalf by those who who bring us to the church for baptism and present us as Christ was presented at the temple. Um, regardless of when those promises or by whom those promises were made, we are subsumed now into the church, into a new family, and there are now family obligations for we who were baptized— uh, baptism is not just this this single event. I want to say it's not just this rite of passage, but in a very real sense, it is a rite, it's ritual, and it does relay passage. We are brought forth out of one state of being and into another in a very in a more real sense than we typically use that term. Because through our baptisms, our souls receive an indelible mark. We become part of the family of God. It's something that can never be undone. You can never become unbaptized uh, because that has been given to you. It has changed your ontological character in a very real way. It changes the, the who you are, the, the what of your being, because you have been washed now from original sin by the waters of baptism. So this is where we're going to approach really briefly the question of why did God, uh, God made man, why did he, who has no sin and knew no sin, why was he baptized? And I've heard some really interesting takes on this. I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, he, he was giving us an example, or he was being obedient to the law so that uh, by that obedience, he could uh, he could fulfill it. And the witness of the father's, says that doesn't really go far enough ambrose and augustine and chrysostom and and saint gregory of Nazianzus, and they all say uh, christ was baptized not so that the waters could cleanse him but so that by his entering into the waters the waters themselves would be sanctified so that baptism would be efficacious for us so he wasn't just giving an example or, or doing something by way of analogy or demonstration. Rather, he was preparing the way for our own baptisms to be able to reveal him in the way that God revealed him through the Holy Spirit at his own baptism. We get now to be not only recipients of epiphany, but participants in epiphany as Christ is revealed through our baptisms to the world around us. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Bo Bonner about the baptism of the Lord and what it means for us in our everyday lives. Join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handles at outside the walls. I'd love to hear from you. Today, we're talking all about the baptism and how Christ is revealed. Tell me about an epiphany you had. How has God revealed himself to you? Maybe you have a a story of the very first time you became aware of God's presence or maybe the way he continues to reveal himself. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and tomorrow we celebrate the baptism of the Lord, that second mystery of epiphany, Uh, and it's an important day, and it's one that we ought to focus on because it has very strong implications for us. The baptism of the Lord is that which prefigures our own baptism and makes possible our own baptism, and our own baptism is that which assumes us into the life of the church, makes us a co-heir with Christ, uh, and brings us into the family of God. So this is kind of a a really big deal. uh, And to talk about it, we've got another really big deal. Uh, Bo Bonner is here on the show with us again today. Bo, thanks for being with us.
1: Oh, Thank you for in any manner comparing me uh, to the baptism of the Lord as a big deal. I I don't think I'm going to live up to it, but I'll give it my best shot.
0: So, Bo is the, uh, the co-host of The Uncommon Good, which airs on Iowa Catholic Radio, and I think you're out in uh, part of Oklahoma as well, aren't you?
1: That's correct. Uh, uh, Oklahoma City and Tulsa, uh, they're, they're kind enough to, to, play, to play, play there, too.
0: You know, you, uh, you have Oklahoma heritage, uh, which you don't have to follow you long on social media to figure out.
1: Yeah, I, I've, I've been told that I, uh, I need to request a check for how much I, uh, you know, uh, do my part to make people understand the beauty of Oklahoma and Okies. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> you know, what, what's funny is moving away probably made that more apparent. Like when I was in high school, we moved to, I guess, middle school, we moved 90 miles north, but that's in Kansas. And, uh, you know, you, you move into a different territory that makes you really, uh, understand, you know, where you're from. So there you go.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about another movement, the movement, uh, that we make from darkness into light, uh, has, as the scripture says, uh, and, and the mechanism, the, the vehicle that takes us on that journey, uh, baptism, uh, you know, Growing up the Protestant Church, baptism was an outward invisible sign of an inward grace. It was the thing that you did after that you had come to Christ as a means of obedience. I, I, Now I'm following Christ, and so I have to do that thing that he said to do. Uh, but here in the Catholic Church, we have a, a very different take on what baptism is. Uh, why don't you kind of break that out for us just a little bit? What is well Baptism.
1: So one of the interesting ways to think about this, um, so Blessed uh, Blessed Columba Marmion, who's a, a Benedictine um, monk, uh, he has this wonderful um, prayer of morning recollection that he, he uh, shows to people that he suggests that they pray in the morning to get in the, the right mind frame. And there's all sorts of cool things he has, but one of them he says is to think about the stations of the cross, and he says, lay down your life with Christ in the 14th station. So that's when Christ is put into the sepulchre so that you can be raised with him uh, when you know he is raised too. So we lay down our life in the sepulchre with Christ so that in his resurrection we might be raised to new life too. And he immediately says, the reason that you should do this every day is because you're baptized. And he says, when you've been baptized, you yourself have entered into the sepulchre, the grave of Christ, and then when you come out of those waters— Uh, not all of us were fully dunked, but the idea is once the water stops, that you come out of those waters, that you have been raised in the new life of Christ as well. And so we believe that baptism is precisely this at the most profound, metaphysical, spiritual, any way you want to put it level, is that we have entered into Christ's death so that we can also be reborn in his, his resurrection. And so baptism, like you said, me growing up Baptist, Um, It was sort of a, well, look, uh, John the Baptist baptized, Christ was baptized, we've been baptizing. It's an outward sign to say, look what I already believe. Mm -hmm. But we in the Catholic Church confess that it's almost exactly the opposite, is we are baptized because Christ has blessed the waters of baptism by being baptized himself. He who did not need to be baptized, right, because he knew no sin, um, but he did this. So I think he says in the scriptures, to fulfill all things. And the idea, right, is by doing that, by being baptized, we enter into that sepulchre of Christ so that when we raise from the baptismal waters, we are raised with him. And then life can't be the same afterwards. And that's, I know you probably wanted a quick description, but that's about as quick (laughs) as I can do.
0: You know, I I love this, this picture. And after we became Catholic, all of a sudden, all of these Bible verses that I'd never connected to baptism, I'm looking at them going, how did I ever how did I ever miss this? Things like uh, that we have been baptized with a bath or, or, or washed with a bath of regeneration or that uh, the ark, which corresponds to baptism, right? That the ark saved uh, Noah and baptism saves us not by uh, a washing of the outer body, but of a cleansing of the conscience. And, and so looking at this this vehicle of baptism, of Christ saying, you being a physical being, Need to have uh, physical things, uh, but you, being a spiritual being, need to those physical things need to have spiritual efficacy. So, giving us this this baptism, really in a truly um, gracious way, because it's not you know specifically as we baptize our infants who cannot choose and cannot make those decisions. This is not a work that they do that they then uh, have earned by having the right thought or doing the right thing. Rather, it is given completely freely as a gift, making us children of God, but then also obligating us to live in a certain way. Because part of that baptism is we make, or our parents make for us, some baptismal promises. Uh, and that so it, we also have some baptismal responsibilities that come from that.
1: Well, and what's interesting about that too is, you know, there's a way... In which um, every good point to make about any matter of the faith, but particularly with something like baptism, um, you can sort of take it to an extreme. So, like, certainly, baptism uh, is a sort of recapitulation. Uh, I don't want to say reimagining, but like a, a new, a new take on, as it were, um, circumcision. Right. So, like, it's the beginning of January. Uh, we celebrated uh, the circumcision of our Lord and uh, the naming of the lord like the holy name of jesus right and so obviously in the jewish uh the hebrew religion of the jews at the time um and and still to this day circumcision is where you sort of receive your name your reality um and it is a legal construct uh you are legally now a part of the people and i I don't mean that derisively right like this is a part of the covenant and certainly baptism does the same thing right like there is almost a transaction that occurs, like in the in the sort of fullest manner of that word, transaction. Um, and so there are things like responsibilities, obligations. Literally, the church law will talk about those in a legal way mm-hmm. towards the baptized as people they have obligations to and expect responsibilities from. But the reason that we have those is not just because baptism is magical or it's like uh, a signed contract, because you can understand right why. The sort of Protestant reformers would go, well, this is a signed contract, how can a child do it? Right. But the fact of the matter is the reason that we have these obligations and responsibilities is not because sort of the signing of a contract, but that literally a new world has been presented now. Um, To baptize someone is to die to the old self and be born to the new one, which is to say to die to the old creation and to be born to the new creation breaking into this world. At every moment. And so when we live in a new world, that means we have a sort of comportment, a relationship with it that will also be new. And so when we talk about walking around as the baptized with responsibilities to the world, to each other, ourselves, to our God, it stops, you know, so it is legal in a sense, but precisely because we live in a new world. And if you live in a new world, you have a different. Fundamental relationship with it, and that's what we mean, I think, by baptismal obligations. Yeah,
0: we're talking today with Bo Bonner, and Bo, as I think about that, I also think when you are a member of a family, you have obligations that are not contractual. They actually run deeper than that. My kids have to do chores because we there are so many of them, and we would not be able to live if they didn't all have some responsibility uh, to take care of one another and to take care of the house. And so now that we are part of the family of God, we are, uh, uh, one of the uh, writers in, I think it's Paul, says the love of Christ compels us, that we are compelled, uh, but not merely in a juridical way. We are compelled by the fact that we are loved and we are part of a family. Uh, and so that, that compulsion, uh, which is external to us, uh, coming from the love of Christ—that's the best kind of compulsion you can have—it uh, it has some demands on the way that we behave and the way that we act, just like I have some demands on the way that my children behave towards one another and act towards one another and how they care for one another. Uh, ultimately, it is for th- the common good and not just so that I can come down heavy on a kid. No,
1: I think that's a great way to put it, and particularly to think about the relation of families with laws. You know, laws only really can come about in two ways. They either pronounce something that by nature exists and should be recognized, mm-hmm. which is everything from like, uh, you know, why we shouldn't murder each other, right? You, you, you shouldn't need a law to say not to murder. Um, the law prohibiting murder is a reflection and a pronouncement about a deeper, like you said, thing that pre-exists, right? The validity and sanctity of human life. but even in the sort of secondary way, laws that exist that are more arbitrary right like stop signs are red and octangular. Um, it's true that stop signs don't emerge from nature red and octangular. but the idea is right that they serve exactly what you said, custom for the sake of the human family living together. It is only in our age when we hear law and we assume it's just sort of like, by fiat or the decision of someone just coming up with something but it's exactly like you said the human family has regular order and it can can change right some families go to bed like your kids probably go to bed at a reasonable time mine are terrible night owls that i'm not even (laughs) going to say uh on record when they go to bed but the idea is there has to be uh customs that make the family ordered and work and so the family of god has the same sort of thing and it's like you said it's not compulsion. In the sense of, you know, uh, God throwing his weight around as if God needs to throw his weight around in order to be uh, self-satisfied or anything like this. But it starts to be uh, the original word, uh, what economy means, right? Like the law of the household, not about making money per se, but ordering the house towards its good end. And baptism is the entrance into this new household of God, this new world uh, breaking into the old. And so, even the sort of obligations we have are joyful, even if sometimes they might be arduous.
0: <laughs> joy, arduous joy—that's a that's a new term for me. But you know, i I, I look <laughs> at I look at this, and and I see uh, some specific things that were difficult for me coming into the church. Some reordering of thought, and that's what what we try to look at through this show is: what are the implications now? of the fact that we've been baptized, that we've been subsumed into this family of God. And how does that impact not just uh, the things that are immediately obvious, but everything on down the road? How are we completely submersed, as it were, in this new family, this new way of thinking? And we're going to discuss that when we come back. Right after this break, as we're talking with Bo Bonner, co-host of The Uncommon Good on Iowa Catholic Radio and Oklahoma Catholic Radio, there's much more to come right after this, but why don't you come over on social media and be a part of the conversation, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. I would love to hear what you think. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host TL, and today we're talking about the implications of baptism as we celebrate tomorrow the Baptism of the Lord uh, liturgically. And when we go to when you go to mass, you'll hear readings about that. Hopefully, the homily will be about that. Uh, and today we're looking a little bit about what that means. We're having a conversation with Bo Bonner, co-host of The Uncommon Good, heard on Iowa Catholic Radio and Oklahoma Catholic Radio. I, you know, I was baptized when I was still Methodist, Beau, and when I was confirmed, things changed for me because when I came into the Catholic Church, all of a sudden my contexts shifted. Uh, when I was Methodist, we had a very particular branch of Methodism. If you've watched the news, you know that there is an impending split in the Methodist Church that's been going on for a very long time, that disagreement, and so we were always really careful— right which, you know, where we went to church, because it could be vastly different. And so we judged where we were going to go to church based on our own metric and measure of what was correct. And when I came into the Catholic Church, um, one of the paragraphs in the catechism was really impactful for me. And that was paragraph 87, which says, Mindful of Christ's words to his apostles, he who hears you hears me. The faithful receive with docility the teachings and directives that their pastors give them in different forms. And so for me, I came to realize that I couldn't be the metric and the measure of what was right or what was wrong, because I was still pursuing holiness. I still saw lots of things in me that were wrong, and I had to have some external measure to really measure where I needed to be. And Chesterton had a a similar quote. He said, It's a different matter when a religion, in the real sense of a binding thing, binds men to their morality when it's not identical to their mood. It is in those cases when we get the real grapple of religion. It's in those cases when we get the peculiar and solitary triumph of the Catholic faith. It is not merely in being right where we are right, as in being cheerful or hopeful or humane, it's having been right when we were wrong and in the fact coming back upon us afterwards like a boomerang. One word that tells us what we do not know outweighs a thousand words that tells us what we do know. And the thing is more striking if not only did we not know it, but could not believe it. It may seem a paradox to say that the truth teaches us more by the words we reject than by the words we receive. That's from the Catholic Church in Conversion by uh, by G.K. Chesterton. So in this, we hear a little bit of our baptismal responsibility, and that is to be humble enough to realize that we're not right all the time.
1: First of all, one of the things I have to say I love about that quote is a big focus that I've started to realize I've had in, in my teaching or things that I'm involved with is the via negativa, the apophatic knowledge, the idea that, right, like he said, we can learn a lot more about something by knowing what it's not. And so the sort of negative path but not in you know negative people hear that and they think it means like bad or talking trash but it just means the way of negate negation right um and and chesterton is very famous for bringing this up in a lot of ways the dogma is less sort of you know positive things that are being you know browbeat into our heads but instead um the boundaries that allow the game to happen right so you think about football football isn't a game except that there's inbounds and out of bounds he makes these wonderful points, wonderful images, and he's doing this here as well. Uh, you know, one word telling us essentially not what to do as opposed to a thousand of what we do know. He, he said not to do. He's talking about knowledge. Um, but but that exactly, right, that when you're Protestant, uh, no offense, that uh, you kind of wake up every day and you have to, the obligation on you is to be your own pope. I mean, I grew up Southern Baptist and then I too was that. Uh, in the, the Methodist world for a while. I was at Methodist seminary before I converted. And in many ways, it, that's, that's almost your positive responsibility, is what are you going to do to know what you need to know in order to make these decisions, like you said, to go to the proper church, to belong to the proper denomination, and daily, as it were, this is things you have to decide. Um, so the idea of submitting to the will of another, not only God or Jesus Christ, um, but like an abbot uh, in, in the Benedictine traditions or things like this. Um, I think that's why they ultimately ended up appealing to me uh, because you start to go, if, if this is what it is, I mean, how is this any different than someone making consumer choices, right? So does Catholicism or um, your brand of uh, Christianity just come down to sort of I like Ford versus Chevy or Coke versus Pepsi? Uh, and that that started to really... Uh, terrify me to think that that's the sort of level of what we're expected in our religion. But this idea that I submit myself and that the church sort of uh, putting the stopgap on entire threads of discussion, not to be some sort of uh, overlord that shoves ideas into our heads, but to actually free us to imagine what it means to live out our baptism by not needing to constantly decipher decisions, very basic decisions about the world every day. Um, it's not the reason I converted by any means, but it started to be something that opened me up to the freedom of, of oblation, of, of submitting our will, that actually being willing to submit to the will of God is a freedom and not some sort of uh, payment extracted from me. Um, and you start to think about that, that the idea of a magisterial, uh, you know, pastors, uh, you know, the magisters, the teachers, that they 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 tell us about the world so that we can live out our baptismal promises stops being, you know, a schoolmarm, you know, wrapping our knuckles with uh, a ruler like people have of this silly understanding of nuns, but instead of saying we're setting a path where true freedom can happen precisely because we are showing you the horizon of this new world. Um, It's like Chesterton says, this is the true exciting adventure of the faith, but it means it does mean that we're going to have to operate in a different way. So instead of coming up with what I think is the right idea and then fishing around like online or at different buildings to find people who think exactly like me, I'm going to have to be the adult that is willing to admit that in the situation I'm in, uh, we might not know exactly what we're going to do, but we submit this to the tradition. We submit this to our pastors and be willing to actually hear back shepherds trying to help us find, um, you know, the, 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 the verdant fields that Christ has intended for us.
0: We're talking today with Bo Bonner, and Bo, no matter who you are, there's ample opportunity for the church to tell uh, to tell you that you're wrong, right? You've got, right. You, the, you, you mentioned earlier that some things in the law are, are there because they exist, not because of someone's whim, and so you have things like don't murder, uh, and the church takes that further and says this relates to a number of things, including... Direct abortion, and so the church has consistently been against uh, direct abortion or exposure, which is not something that's currently practiced, uh, but was earlier, where you just leave the infant out and let the let nature take them away. Uh, the church also has things to say about um, armed conflict, uh, whether w- whether armed conflict is justified and in what cases that it is. She doesn't. The church doesn't just say, uh, "Well, don't do it," but that says, "Okay, if we're going to." have this inevitability, there are specific things that we have to do in order for us to continue to be moral within that, as Chesterton said, when it binds men to their morality, uh, when they would not otherwise be so. And and so the news today gives us ample opportunities to examine our baptismal promises and the implications thereof in light of the way that we relate to the people around us.
1: Right. I think of uh, Just War specifically, and and just an easy side note, right, this is it, it is obviously in the news, but this is not uh, a sort of um, consideration for just one party. It's obviously both parties. I, I like to point out to people that we've had five presidents in a row in which we've been at war with someone, and that's uh, been both parties, very different people. Um, it's a reality to talk about what does it mean to live as the baptized, believing that the in-breaking new kingdom is coming, like we pray for in the Our Father, And to live like that, we have been obligated to see that new world and that it should change uh, how we deal with things like the inevitability of conflict. So, just war stops being like, again, uh, people just ramming through our throats like, you know, this is what you have to say and this is what you have to do. So, if you look at the tradition, In in St. Augustine, many people in the patristic era sort of talked about this, but you really start to see this codify with uh, someone we end up talking about a lot, St. Thomas Aquinas and other scholastics. It really gets into the school of Salamanca that really tries to codify this until we get the the catechism. So if you look at the catechism, paragraph 2309, um, it will talk about the four strict conditions for legitimate defense by military force. Uh, the damage inflicted by the aggressor on the nation or communities of nations must be lasting, grave, and certain. Uh, all other the, 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 so before you consider attacking them, all other means of putting an end to it must have been shown to be impractical or ineffective. There must be a serious prospects prospects of success, and the use of arms must not produce evils uh, endorse, disorders graver than the evil to be eliminated. And uh, all of this goes back to thinking things about like. Is it okay to preemptively attack or should things only be done in self-defense? Do we use war to punish people or not? What about, uh, you know, weaker peoples or groups that are suffering, uh, you know, genocides? And uh, what about the role of civilians? Uh, Not only do we, uh, what are the things that make us decide whether we go to war, but whether, what do we do in war and how do we practice war? All of this comes down to some basic questions, which is to say people go, well, look, you know, if war is war and you need to win, eventually don't all of these considerations get thrown out? Mm -hmm. And what we want to say is baptism is a reality such as that there are things we are willing to do um, that uh, are more important uh, than living, that there are realities that we would rather live with Mm -hmm. than uh, living on uh committing injustice, right? So if, if Christ on the cross, that dying, being in the sepulchre and being raised rose back from the dead, and that's what baptism does, we enter in his death so that we are resurrected in his new life, we're gonna follow his example. And so clearly for Christ, there was something more important than living, which was dying for our sake, right? And and so this goes into our consideration for war. Just war comes down to to say there are some things that we would rather lose than lose our souls, uh, lose this new world that baptism has entered us into uh, simply to win a victory. And so just war is not a constraint in sort of like, again, one more time, someone saying you must do things this way. Just war is the declaration of the reality of this new world. And if we believe that we've been baptized dead and arose into this new world, even something like war must be conducted differently. And that's what just war theory is. That's what the ethical, uh, you know, uh, declarations um, in hospitals about everything from abortion to, uh, you know, artificial, uh, uh, you know, means of of, of producing children. I mean, everything we go down the line, it's not rules uh, just like you have to follow them or you don't belong to the social group or the social club. They're all questions about saying if we are baptized and we live in this new world that Christ has made by himself being baptized, dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, how are we going to live in this new world appropriately as the baptized? And every ethical decision has that in mind. You are baptized and as the baptized, even in this rough world with all of its difficulties. What are the boundaries of what you must never do in order to stay living in this world of the baptized?
0: When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Bo Bonner as we celebrate tomorrow the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. Join the ongoing conversation on social media, facebook.com slash Walls, On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. I would love to have a conversation with you over there. We'll be right back right after this with much more. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L., Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. And today we've been talking with Bo Bonner. He's the host of The Uncommon Good on Iowa Catholic Radio and Oklahoma Catholic Radio. He's also now the executive vice president of the Newman Idea. Normally at this point in time we move on to other things, but I wanted to get a little bit more time with you, Bo. I want to hear about what the Newman Idea is.
1: Um, The Newman Idea boils down to a question How do we keep our kids Catholic and their faith burning brightly through college, especially when we consider this? Over 90% of all Catholic students who go to college do not go to Catholic colleges. More than 90% go to either state schools or other secular institutions. And so when we start to ask, what does it mean to have the faith burn brightly? Obviously, there's great groups that do wonderful work. Um, Focus comes to mind, campus ministries. And in no way are we trying to compete with what they're up to. But one of the things we have to be uh, realistic about is when kids go to college, they have a profound intellectual formation, particularly in whatever professional programs they go into, engineers, lawyers, doctors, anything in that sort of realm. People go to college and they understand the importance of the intellectual life, but primarily in the field that they're going to get a job in. So even when we do a good job of um, creating that spark people who've gone away from the church, or or, um, paying attention to devotion and liturgy, all wonderful and necessary things, there's this aspect about the intellect and how that deals with faith that we have to make sure we give our students when they go off, especially to the secular institutions. They have to begin to see the integrated nature of the faith with the intellectual aspect of their professional life. And what the Newman idea is wanting to do what we're setting up primarily, we started in Louisiana, starting it up here in Iowa, is the idea we will teach accredited classes in the great Catholic tradition for people to be able to use as electives at their host institutions so that they begin to see this profound integrity, the gift of integrity. That is Newman's idea, and that's what we're trying to enact in the world, the gift of integrity, that the intellectual content of their professional life and their faith are not divorced but something that must go together in that tight integrated way so that we have actual Catholic professionals and mm-hmm. not people who are Catholics on the weekend professionals elsewhere.
0: It, it's almost like our baptismal promises have effect on the whole of our
1: life. That's exactly <laughs> right. Is do we believe we baptize the whole person? Is yeah. it just the emotions that we baptize? Is it just some sort of spiritual life so that we baptize everything, our intellects included? And if we have a baptized intellect, That means we're going to have baptized professionals, and we think it's going to make a difference. And that's what we're hoping to affect in the world uh, through our ministry.
0: Well, there's more to my conversation with Bo available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link in the top right corner for access. Now let's turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. We're going to pull our reading from the first reading from the actual feast of the baptism of the Lord. This comes from the book of Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, with whom I am pleased, upon whom I have put my spirit. He shall bring forth justice to the nations, not crying out, not shouting, not making his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall not break, and a smoldering wick he shall not quench, until he establishes justice on the earth. The coastlands will wait for his teaching. I, the Lord, have called you the victory of justice. I have grasped you by the hand. I formed you and set you as a covenant of the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out prisoners from confinement, and from the dungeon those who live in darkness. That reading comes from the book of Isaiah, and it's important for us to realize that the New Testament is dependent on the old. Uh, The New Testament is hidden in the old, and the Old Testament is revealed, epiphany, revealed in the new. And so here, as Jesus is baptized, and the, the heavens open up, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and the words come out, "'Here is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased.'" It's just a single line, and yet everything that comes from this passage in Isaiah, which is a prophecy about the Messiah that the people would have known, it would have been part of their uh, their vocabulary, all of a sudden that one sentence of revelation, of epiphany, brings with it not only, hey, this is the Son of God, but also, and here is what he's going to do uh, throughout his ministry. We, we see the same thing when Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And without the benefit of the old Testament, we could come up with some really crazy ideas of why Jesus would have said that. But here he is referencing Psalm 22 and with a single line calling to mind everything that that messianic prophecy has to say and letting people see this revelation of him as the son of God, as the Messiah. Our reading from Church History today comes from a sermon by St. Gregory of Nazianzus, and it ties our baptism and explains our baptism in light of the baptism of Christ. Christ is bathed in light. Let us also be bathed in light. Christ is baptized. Let us go down with him and rise with him. John is baptizing when Jesus draws near. Perhaps he comes to sanctify his baptizer. Certainly he comes to bury sinful humanity in the waters. He comes to sanctify the Jordan for our sake and in readiness for us. He who is spirit and flesh comes to begin a new creation through the spirit and water. The Baptist protests. Jesus insists. Then John says, I ought to be baptized by you. He is the lamp in the presence of the Son, the voice in the presence of the Word, the friend in the presence of the bridegroom, the greatest of all born of women in the presence of the firstborn of all creation, the one who leapt in his mother's womb in the presence of him who was adored in the womb, the forerunner, and the future forerunner, in the presence of him who has already come and who is to come again. I ought to be baptized by you, we should also add, and for you. For John is to be baptized in blood, washed clean like Peter, not only by the washing of his feet. Jesus rises from the waters, and the world rises with him. The heavens, like paradise with its flaming sword, closed by Adam for himself and his descendants, are rent open. The Spirit comes to him as an equal, bearing witness to his Godhead. A voice bears witness to him from heaven, his place of origin. The Spirit descends in bodily form, like the dove that so long ago announced the ending of the flood, and so gives honor to the body, That is one with God. Today, let us do honor to Christ's baptism and celebrate this feast in holiness. Be cleansed entirely and continue to be cleansed. Nothing gives such pleasure to God as the conversion and salvation of men, for whom His every word and every revelation exists. He wants you to become a living force for all mankind lights shining in the world. You are to be radiant lights as you stand beside Christ, the great light, bathed in the glory of him who is the light of heaven. You are to enjoy more and more the pure and dazzling light of the Trinity, as now you have received, though not in its fullness, a ray of its splendor, proceeding from the one God, in Christ Jesus our Lord, to whom be glory and power, forever and ever. Amen. That reading comes from a sermon by St. Gregory of Nazianzus. And I, I want to point out one thing in particular, the whole thing is just beautiful. And I love that the juxtaposition and, and the comparing and contrasting of John the Baptist and Jesus that he has there in that middle paragraph, but right there at the end is something that I want to bring back to our attention. Our baptism is a one-time event, but that one-time event starts a continual conversion. And so here we're exhorted, be cleansed entirely and continue to be cleansed. This, This process is begun definitively with baptism, but it is something that continues with being sanctified by allowing ourselves to be filled with the presence of Christ. Just like Christ came into the water to sanctify the waters, we have him come into us to dwell with us, to remain with us. And as we invite him in and spend time with him, we continue to be sanctified. And he says, nothing gives such pleasure to God as the conversion and salvation of men for whom his every word and every salvation exists. He wants you to become a living force for all mankind, lights shining in the world. And this is the fullness of our baptismal promises. This is what it means for us to be changed by our baptism and to realize that we are living a new creation and a new identity, that we go out not for our own sake now, but for the sake of the world. Radiant lights as we stand with Christ and beside Christ, not for our own sake, but for the sake of the world and not for our own glory, but to the glory of Jesus Christ. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Drs. Michael and Julie Highland, and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link and join their numbers. Get some extra content, including an extra segment with our guest this week.